Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. My name is Stephanie, and I am a recovered alcoholic on staff at the Magdalene House. Each week, I have the pleasure of conducting a live interview with an alcoholic woman in recovery for the participants who are currently in our Next Step program. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome to the Magdalene House podcast. This is uh, our series, Recovered, Interviews with Alcoholic Women. Uh, my name is Stephanie Crawford. I am your host and the program manager here at Next Step. And uh, this was originally started for during the pandemic last year, uh, whenever we thought that the pandemic was only going to be about this long. And uh, <laughs> it wasn't even started for a podcast. It was actually just started for, I was just trying to think of different ways to keep the Next Step participants connected while we were, were sheltering in place and all of that. And it has now grown into this wonderful thing that it is today. Um, and so that is amazing. We have now interviewed over 60 women. Um, and so it's pretty fantastic um, in reaching a lot more uh, alcoholic women, which is our mission. So let me go ahead and introduce today's guest. Her name is Marsha, and she came highly recommended by Chloe Kramer who I'm sure a lot of you know, she has done a lot of studying the steps episodes, um, which are all fantastic. And she's the director of programs here. Um, And so when Chloe highly recommends somebody, I'm going to ask that person. So Marcia, thank you so much for being here. If you could just first start off by giving us a little bit of background information about yourself and then what led you to get sober. Sure. Well, Stephanie, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And I am um, a sober woman in recovery, and um, that allows me the opportunity to show up and be a mom today. And that was not always the case. Um, My sobriety date is May 6th of 2008. And that is the day that, you know, God separated me from alcohol. Um, I certainly did not know that day that it was going to be the last day that I ever took a drink. But I'm very grateful for that fact, and I'm very grateful um, to be in a part of the country here in Texas where we have such strong recovery communities and, you know, just you can connect with so many strong people and it's just such a blessing. Why did I get sober? Well, um, I got sober because um, the consequences of my alcoholism had really become, you know, so great that I just couldn't bear it anymore. Um, I was living in North Carolina when I got sober. I was an attorney. I was licensed in North Carolina and in Georgia. And starting in 2002, I started to, you know, get into some trouble because of my drinking. And from 2002 to 2008, you know, I was in and out of treatment centers. I was in and out of detoxes, psychiatric hospitals, doctor's offices, the whole nine yards. And for those six years, I can say that, you know, I wanted to stop drinking, but I wasn't willing to do what needed to be done to, you know, not start again. I'd stopped many times, but, you know, and one of the things I like you are, you know, you have to do for yourself. And that wasn't my experience. I mean, because I had been to treatment so many times, you know, and, and like I said, I was an attorney, so I kind of had the 
you know, the analytical mind of a lawyer. And so the evidence would, you know, tell me that I was not going to be able to pull this off. I thought I was one of those people that was constitutionally incapable, air quotes. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't really remember at that moment the, the last line of that, which is um, of being honest with yourself, because I wasn't able to do that at the time. The Bar Association um, in North Carolina and Georgia, they kind of got together and, um, you know, sort of compared notes about the different um, contracts that I had signed to, to not drink anymore, especially while I was working. And uh, they came up with the idea that I was not safe to practice. And so um, they uh, had an intervention on me and basically said, you're going to take your law license for five years and you're going to go to long-term gender specific treatment. Um, and then, you know, we'll kind of see where this goes at the same time. Um, CPS was involved in my life. We, I have five children. My husband and I have a blended family of three from my first marriage. He has one from his first marriage and then we have one together. And at the time, all the kids were in junior high school, middle school and uh, elementary school. And CPS had gotten involved in my life and uh, had taken custody of the children. And my mom had stepped in as guardian and, and taken them down to South Georgia to live with her. So basically, I'm just sort of painting the picture that, you know, at this moment in my life, everything was removed. My, my career was gone. My practice was shut down. My husband and I had separated. Child Protective Services had given custody of my children to my mother. And I had nothing. All those things that I sort of defeat things, all those things have been stripped away. Or, you know, another way of saying that is I had given all those things away um, in favor of my alcoholism. And for whatever reason, you know, at that time in my life, um, I was at that beautiful intersection of out of options and out of ideas. And so when they told me you're going to go to treatment and you're going to stay as long as we tell you to stay, I, I did that and I believed them. Again, I did not think I could get sober, but I really wanted my kids back and I really wanted to be able to work again. Um, I was kind of iffy about the marriage, you know, I was still blaming him for, for all my problems. I certainly was nowhere near the, the, the time where I could really, you know, accept responsibility and really realize that my problems were of my own making. It felt very much like my problems were because of CPS and because of my husband and because of my, um, you know, licensing board. But I believed them that I was not going to get those things back if I didn't go to treatment. So that's why I went to treatment. Um, and, you know, I think that whatever reason you end up, you know, at the point where you have the willingness to take direction and do whatever it takes, whatever the reason for that is in, in our lives is the right reason. You know, I had no self-esteem left. I, you know, had operated outside of my own value system for so long that um, I just, you know, I, I didn't think that I could come back from it. Um, but like I said, I really did want to be a mom and, um, and I wanted to be able to work. And so I was willing to do what they told me to do. And, you know, once that surrender happens, you know, the big book talks a lot about that, that God doesn't make too hard of terms with those who honestly seek him. And, you know, I was in that place where I was honestly seeking. I'd always believed in God. I just had no idea that I could have an experience with the power of God and no idea that I could, um, you know, really tap into that power um, on a daily basis, and that, you know, God was at all interested in my personal life. I kind of felt like God was this big guy with, you know, bigger issues than whether or not Marcia was drinking today. 
I just, you know, had, I, I could not wrap my mind around that I could conceive of a power greater than myself that would care about that. But, you know, like I said, the, the circumstances made me willing. And, you know, once I had that desperation and had that willingness, just simply beginning to take direction uh, without asking questions or without trying to kind of put my spin on it or do it my way or one more trick up my sleeve. Once I started taking directions, you know, just little by little, the magic started to happen and my spirit started to awaken. And then this possibility that, you know, I could come out of this alcoholism, you know, on the other side of it and be able to, um, to be the woman of grace and dignity that I always wanted to be and be the mom that I always wanted to be and the wife and, you know, the sister and, and, you know, the friend and the employee. Once I realized that it might be possible, um, I was able to connect those dots that while I always had great intentions, my alcoholism interrupted my intentions from matching my actions. And so that's um, what began to happen. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much. You know, whenever you were talking, uh, I was thinking one of our guests was talking about alcoholism. And I think she said from Highland Park to park benches, from Yale to jail, like alcoholism, uh, you know, like it, it affects us all the same and it doesn't discriminate based on your background or you know, what you do for a living or anything like that. Now I heard you talk about relapsing. Did you ever work the steps prior to this time? No, I never did. Um, you know, while I was in and out of treatment for six years and, and knew about meetings and knew about the 12 steps, um, I did not, uh, you know, I never really took the time to, to work the steps. I didn't really think it was necessary. You know, i I was hearing a lot in meetings that all you have to do is not drink for 24 hours and, you know, come back to the meeting tomorrow night at six o'clock. And I was doing that and I had a sponsor and, you know, we had, we were friends and, you know, we had um, really nice times together. I got pregnant. She threw me a baby shower, you know, in 2004, but, but, you know, I just did not, I was not at the place where I could really understand that working the steps and really internalizing the steps was what was going to ultimately connect me to power. I felt like the steps were a part of like a meeting, but I did not, I did not work them. And, you know, I will say that I don't think I heard that I was supposed to work them like that. Um, but I may have, you know, it's just that I wasn't ready to, to hear it yet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's but, what I thought too. I thought like the steps were something that like you just, like in theory, maybe someday did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you had a sponsor, but you weren't utilizing her to work the steps, what did you do? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question. And, you know, I hear, um, you know, some of the, some of the speakers talk about that, um, you know, there are, there are people in our meetings and people in our midst that, that don't, that they might be hard drinkers and alcohol might have caused some problems for them. But when they really made the decision not to drink anymore, you know, with just simply going to meetings and fellowshipping with other alcoholics, they were able to pull off that decision. The problem is when, you know, a real alcoholic like me that, you know, drinks past any consequences, drinks past any, you know, I mean, you know, there was, there was, nothing standing in the way from me and alcohol when I was, you know, in my cups, as they say. So, you know, she did the best she could 
And we had a lot of long talks. We spent a lot of time together. I think I might have done, you know, a, a three column, fourth step at some point in time. But, you know, through those conversations and through, you know, that whatever like model of the four step, I don't know what to call it. Um, what I really came away with was feeling, you know, justified um, in drinking. You know, like if you, my, my like inner mantra always was, you know, if you had my life, you would drink like I'm drinking. And she kind of agreed with me, you know, and so that, that made it tough. I remember specifically one time, it was, must have been like Easter 2005 or six, you know, because I was kind of in the middle of that, mostly not drinking, except for sometimes I would drink phase of my life. And I remember it was the day before Easter and I was at the mall and I was buying all my kids like matching outfits because they want, I wanted them to be cute and, you know, I wanted to look like a good mom and all that kind of stuff. And the Easter lunch and Easter egg hunt was going to be at my sponsor's house the next day. And for whatever reason, you know, I, I went to the mall, got all their stuff, came home, you know, put them down for a nap. And, you know, there was nothing wrong that day. Everything was fine. My husband was at work and, you know, we had you know this wonderful weekend planned. And for whatever reason, in the middle of the day, once I got the kids down for a nap, it was like the best idea in the whole world and nothing would have stopped me from driving to the, you know, convenience store and buying, you know, one of those four packs of um, like screw top Sutter home wine that they, I don't know if they still sell it that way, but, you know, I like to drink wine because it's very dignified. Right. And so, um, you know, and I brought that home and was, uh, I remember I was sitting in my bedroom, like rocking the baby. Sheldon was still, my youngest son was still a baby at the time. And my daughter coming in, she was a teenager saying, mom, are you drinking? And I was like, oh, just a little, you know what I mean? Like, it, and then all of a sudden, you know, she calls her, her, my, her stepdad, my husband, he comes home, you know, it's like this big to do. And there's no, you know, when the big book talks about, you know, when, when people ask us, why do we do this? Knowing all the consequences, knowing what's going to happen. And the simple truth is I have no more idea. I had no idea than they did. I had no explanation for, you know, the strangely insane behavior. But that was, you know, that was kind of the life. It was kind of pretending like I was in recovery, going to a lot of meetings, kind of wanting to, to not drink because I was tired of getting in trouble, basically. Um, but having no idea how I could pull off that decision. Mm-hmm. I heard you talk about the four-step walking away justified, which I think so many of us think that, like, that's what's mm-hmm. going to happen whenever we go right. into the four-step. Can you tell us about the experience with your fourth and fifth step? this time and the difference between the last time? Sure. So, you know, I went to long-term gender specific treatment on the East coast and I ended up staying there for seven months. And, and while I was there, you know, we needed to get a sponsor. My husband and I, like I said, had separated and he was originally from Texas. And so when we separated, he came to Austin to live with his sister and kind of figure out what he was going to do. And he heard this woman speak in Austin um, named Katie P. And after he heard her speak, he went up to her and said, will you please, please, please call my wife? You know, she's just as much as a fireball as you are. And and she needs someone like you in her life um, or she's going to die of alcoholism. So Katie and I connected and um, she's actually still my sponsor to today. And so what ended up happening was, you know, I was, I was finally connected with a woman who was armed with the facts, right? And so those facts were that 
you know, I would need to do a fourth step and I would need to, you know, include in that um, a fourth column where I'm going to look at, you know, how my selfishness, my resentment, you know, how, how, what was my part? A lot of people say, what was my part? And so doing that was just like such a profound experience because for the very first time in my life, you know, I was willing to, first of all, and able to, with the help of, of someone who understood, you know, the work to, to look at how my life was not coming at me. In fact, it was coming from me. And so, you know, and to, to, to hear the statement, um, your problems are of your own making and not hear that as a criticism, but to hear that as, you know, the best news ever, because if my problems are of my own making, then I can, with God's help and the help of a sponsor, change that, right? And I can start changing the way that I'm showing up for life and showing up for relationships. Um, and I can, um, you know, because of that, my life will never be the same. And so when she told me that, I believed it, you know, and I had that willingness, that little mustard seed of faith. And, you know, from that fourth step and fifth step, I made my first ever eight-step list. And I went about the business of going out and cleaning up, um, you know, the wreckage, the total wreckage of my past. And, you know, some of the men's went fantastic. Some of them were painful and some of them, you know, were basically, thank you, but I, I don't ever want to be involved in your life again. And that was okay, you know, because regardless of what the response was, I was not for the first time in my life, taking action to try to elicit a specific response or try to, you know, force an outcome to happen that I felt like needed to happen. I was doing it because I believed that if I did not, you know, do this work and I did not um, go and make amends for, for what had happened um, in the past, that I was not going to be able to, to stay um, free from alcohol. And that was what I really wanted to do. Um, you know, and I remember, you know, like I said, I had five kids. And so the older kids had really been through the ringer with me because, you know, while they were in middle school, junior high school and the beginnings of high school, I was a wreck. Right. And so, you know, when I made amends to my kids, I remember specifically, I said to my son, I know you don't believe me, but this is it. You know, I'm, I'm never going to drink again. And he said, mom, you can't say that. And I said, well, you know what? Um, I'm saying it because I've made the commitment to stay active in my recovery, to work the steps on an ongoing basis and to do my best to help God's kids. Um, one of the things that I really connected with, and I guess because it's sort of like set up as a contract is the third step promise, you know, which is that I will um, do God's will and he will provide what I need, right? And so that was the commitment that I really made and, um, and, and vocalized to them. I can say these days, you know, I've been sober for a little over, well, 13 and a half years now, and my family is, is reunited and my marriage is better than anything I could have ever dreamed that it would be. And the son that I'm talking about, as well as my two other oldest children are all in recovery these days. And so, you know, although it's painful to look back and think about all the harm that I caused them, you know, being, you know, basically a checked out mom, I was not like a physically abusive mom, but I was definitely not present for them. 
Um, and definitely, you know, they saw things that they should have never seen as children. But the thing that I'm really proud of is that I got beaten up bad enough that I was willing to surrender. And my kids saw me try, stumble, try, stumble, try again, try again, and really fight for my recovery so that when they started in their 20s, you know, having problems with alcohol and other substances, frankly, um, they, they knew the language of recovery and they knew, you know, what it looked like, you know, to get in the ring and, and, and try to fight this battle one more time. And so I'm really grateful that I was able to, you know, model that for them as painful as it was for them and for me, you know, at the time. Yeah, I can definitely uh, relate to being a checked out mom and, you know, having my daughter see things that, um, that I wish she would have never ever seen. Right. Um, but great. I'm grateful today for the, for the relationship that we have in the program it obviously has a, so much to do with that. Um, you know, I think one of the things that women struggle with is shame, right? You know, um, not to say that, that men don't have shame about their behavior, but just the way our society is set up, um, you know, um, and, you know, just nature, frankly, biology over you know, millions of years is that we as women are the nurturers, you know, um, we are the maternal force, we're the rock in the family. And when, when I could not show up for them, it's, it's it, you know, when we talk about we don't regret the past, and I understand that, you know, intellectually, but I will say, you know, Bill Wilson was not a mother. And, you know, I think it's okay for me to understand powerlessness and be grateful for the lessons and, you know, the outcome, but still regret that I was, like I have said before, not able to match my intentions to be a wonderful mom with what my actions showed. Thank you so much for saying that because I have like that promise, you know, of like not regretting the past. Um, like I feel the exact same way that you do, right? Like I, I understand it intellectually, but I don't understand how I will never not regret right. some of the stuff that I, I did to my daughter. I mean, I can have freedom and like forgiveness of myself and yes. all of that, but thank you so much for saying that. I feel like there's definitely moms who need to hear that yeah. on that note with shame, what would you say to either listeners or women on this call who are dealing with shame right now? Like how, what helps you with that? You know, I think there's a couple things. One is really understanding to, you know, your depth, what powerless means, because powerless doesn't mean that I have a little bit of power. Powerless doesn't mean that I can access power if I really want to. Powerless means that I have no power when it comes to to my relationship with alcohol. And so once I really understand that, then I can, you know, look at my behavior through the lens of I'm honest to God, did the best I could. And I remember when um, it was actually a therapist that said that to me because I was just so covered up with shame. She asked me that question. Did you do the best you could? And, you know, with tears, you know, flowing down my face, I said, I did. And she said, and is it okay for you to say out loud without God's help and without recovery, because of my relationship with alcohol, I am an unfit mother. 
And that really stung at first. But once I embraced that, and I, and I always try to, given the opportunity like this today, um, when the conversation goes in that direction, I always try to include that language because today I am an exceptional mom. I have a relationship with all five children that I'm really proud of, really, really proud of. And I can look back and say, but before recovery, you know, I, I was that mom that, you know, said, I'm going to go go to the store and get a gallon of milk and I might be back in 15 minutes or it might be three days. And I had no say over what the answer was going to be to when's mom coming home because of alcohol, you know, because of alcoholism. And it was not that I did not want to come home. I was literally unable to pull it off. So I would say, first of all, to look at it, you know, shine the light on it, wrestle with it, do whatever you have to do to look at your own actions that you're ashamed of and really correlate that with how I did the best I could. And it was still something that I feel shame about. So that's the first one. Like, look at it, say it, get okay with it. If you or someone you know is a woman who wants to sustain and grow in her recovery, check out our three-month non-residential program. Next Step offers community structure and accountability to any alcoholic woman at absolutely no cost. Everything we do in Next Step, from the assignments to the accountability group, is to help alcoholic women not only stay sober, but thrive in her recovery. Because we have both in-person and virtual options, we can help women from all over the world. To call into a phone screen to see if you qualify, call 214-764-0793, extension 500. And then the second thing is to, to share that experience with other women. I think that's the thing that has really helped me to get to the other side of it is to, to be honest, to be super authentic about that and to say to other women, it's okay. I did what you did. I thought like you thought, and you can come to the other side of that and your relationships can be healed. And, you know, this, the, just like the book talks about, you know, like uh, the dark crannies of our past are our greatest asset. And so, you know, I've spoken really all over the world about my recovery. And one of the things I always try to hone in on is I love my children more than anything in the whole wide world. And on my own power, I'm an unfit mother. And that's okay, you know? Oh, so, so powerful. I can totally relate to that as well because it's not until like I was able to see the truth about myself as a mom and like the same thing with you, like not because of that I didn't love her or anything like that. In fact, I thought because I loved her, it made me a good mom, but I was an unfit mother because of my alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Like there was no going forward for me until I could recognize that. Absolutely. Uh, Right. Because as long as you're still telling yourself the lie that yes, I was an alcoholic, but I was, I was a fantastic mom, you know, and, and listen, I'm not saying that this is everybody's story. Maybe there were some fantastic alcoholic mothers. That's not my experience. And so, you know, when I'm able to really, really be honest with myself about that, that's the starting point that I can move forward and say, that was then, this is now. 
And how can I live in spiritual principles every day around parenting? One of the things I struggled with in early recovery was parenting out of guilt and shame, right? Mm -hmm. I did not know that at the time, but like being like too indulgent, being too with, you know, like stuffed, you know, like Christmas, like over the top, being, you know, too lax and um, holding um, my children accountable for schedules and bedtimes and just all that stuff, you know, and Katie really helped me to see, you know, you're not doing them any favors acting this way with them because it's making them feel just as out of control as they felt when you weren't available to them. And, and once I kind of got that part, then I was able to, um, and I'm not perfect at it, believe me, you know, I mean, I, I can, I'd tell you stories, but, but I was able to really, to really see the way for, you know, making up for or providing, you know, recompense or whatever for my past. It's not to be, you know, Disney mom these days. It's to be consistent. It's to be honest. It's to be present. Um, and, and those are things that, that, you know, don't happen like, you know, with a snap of the fingers. It's not that the relationship is healed overnight, but with consistency, with love, um, you know, with, with all those, all those sort of, you know, uh, values in place that, that help you to be a great parent over time. Um, I can honestly say today, like I'm a wonderful mother and I'm very, 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 very grateful for that. Just like this morning. I mean, I wanted to do this podcast with you all, but you know, my son needed my help, like getting his stuff together to walk out the door. And that's, that's where my priority is these days. And I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to, to, to live through this part of recovery. Yeah. So good. So powerful. Now there's a, I don't know. I always get this where I don't know what to ask next, but (laughs) so you've been sober for over 13 years Mm -hmm. and in the beginning, like you knew that you were going to, like, you knew that you were making a commitment to work this program every day and help God's kids for the rest of your life. And I know that we have had, you know, I'm sure there's numerous women who have made that decision sincerely thinking I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life, wanting to do it for the rest of my life and then resting on their laurels or whatever the case may be. What keeps you in the game? I should say, like what keeps you motivated? That's, that's actually a really um, good question, um, Stephanie. And, and this is what I want to say. It's interesting. I was just having this conversation with um, some, some people yesterday. So I knew for sure that I had made that decision. And I knew that I was going to, you know, like you said, <laughs> do the work every day to, to stay connected. What I will also say is that over the last 13 and a half years, I've probably done everything wrong in recovery that you can possibly do besides drink. And that's okay. Right. And if I had drank during that time, that would be okay too, because I've had some friends that, you know, that was part of their path. I love the part of the book when it talks about, you know, progress, not perfection. If I can say, you know, that over the last however many years that I have progressed spiritually, that, you know, I have, progressed in terms of um, my own self image, if I have progressed in terms of how many people I've been able to help, like, I feel like that 
that really is the deal. Um, I'm grateful that I have not had a drink, but if I had had a drink and I was still progressing, I would be just as okay with that. I want to make sure that people really realize, you know, when I'm talking about my experience and my story is that, you know, the goal for me is to be the woman that God intended for me to be. That's the goal for me. And, you know, I've cussed at my husband. I've, you know, yelled at my kids. I've, um, you know, not shown up and, and done the very best job I could at work. I've, you know, counseled on sponsees when I should have met with them, right? I mean, life still happens. I'm certainly not perfect or white as snow, but I can say that, you know, my, my heart is always seeking um, and my feet are always moving. And so I think that's, that's the biggest thing to, to say, you know, um, we're, we're showing up for this thing called life, the very best that we can. And it's, it's a journey, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a journey. It's a marathon. Mm-hmm. I love that. My heart is always seeking and my feet is always moving. That's right. Mm-hmm. So good. Now you were talking about seeking and, you know, I love the line in the book where it says, you know, God does not make too hard of terms like you were talking about. What did seeking God look like for you in the beginning? And how has that evolved over the 13 years? And how do you seek today? And how do you perfect and enlarge? I was having this conversation with some people yesterday that I work with. And I was basically saying, like, you know, I think back to my original third step decision and Honestly, at the time, it was not a hard decision for me to make. I mean, it looks like it was hard because it took me many, many years to finally, you know, make that decision. But when it came down to it, I had nothing left. So it wasn't, you know, that I was trying to hold on to something that I already had. It was a pretty easy decision to, to you know, pivot and you know, live my life um, with God as my employer and, and my director. Um, and here we are, you know, 13 and a half years later, um, like I said, you know, my marriage is restored. Um, my relationship with my kids is, is great. I, you know, I'm a homeowner. I have a car, I have a savings account. My driver's license says where I actually live. Like, you know, like everything is kind of put back together. And so these days, you know, when I come up against my own self-will, the truth is that it's sometimes pretty regularly, honestly. Um, you know, harder to, um, you know, to, to make a decision to turn my will in my life in whatever area it is that I'm talking about over to the care of God. It's like, you know, I unintentionally compartmentalize my third step decision and I'm 100% always in favor of God handling the alcohol problem. Now, if it's talking about my relationship, my husband, um, eh, you know, that might be, you know, a 75, 25 God and me. And then like, you know, whatever my Achilles heel is, whether it's financial security, whether it's, you know, like um, appearance, a weight. I mean, we all have like our thing that we fall under this delusion that if we can, you know, rest, uh, wrestle, you know, satisfaction, happiness, that we're, we're going to be better. Like if I have a certain amount of money in the bank, then I'll feel secure. If my scale says a certain number in the morning, then I'll be okay. 
So those are the areas where I still struggle with aligning my will with God's will at all times, which is insanity, really, because my experience is every single area that I fully surrender to God is all that the outcome is always better than I could have planned. Right. That's the promise. And that's my experience. But this human condition, you know, this this, you know, this human ego and, and wanting to control and, and feeling, you know, like I can somehow manufacture security. Like that's the wrestle. I mean, that's the struggle these days. Um, I don't know if I really made that really clear with what I'm saying, but the bottom line is it's sometimes harder today to, to turn my will and my life over to God in a specific area than it was when I first started on this recovery journey, just because, you know, my ego and my life has been reconstructed, right? But, you know, just to the extent that I'm able to, I'm always surprised. Like, I always underestimate God. My ego tells me I can work out a little bit better deal than God. My experience tells me that I can never even, you know, I can never begin to compare with, you know, the life that I've been provided by my higher power. Um, Everything good in my life is because of recovery. Everything. And I will also say that my relationship with my higher power has evolved over the years. You know, I mean, at first I felt like, you know, like I was, you know, like a the prodigal daughter or something. Like I felt, you know, ashamed and, and grateful that that God would take another chance on me. And now it's evolved to much more um, of a friendship, you know, like um, a working part of the mind is the way the book talks about it. Um, I might not you know, do my meditation, you know, with a 10 minute timer and read pages 86 to 88 and, you know, you know, cross my eyes and dot my T's and step on a crack and break your mama's back. Like it looks like when I first got sober, because that is almost like, you know, um, I think that there's two types of prayer, right? There's like, you know, prayer of supplication, like begging. And then there's this prayer of gratitude that just, you know, makes this relationship with power just a, a part of my life, my, my very breath, my, you know, my very presence. And, and I can, so I can say that like this evolution of my relationship with God um, has been one of the things that I'm really grateful for, because I think if you don't, if you don't constantly evolve, then, you know, I don't, I don't think that you can grow. And I don't want to be the woman that I was on May 6, 2008. I want to be the woman that I am today, whatever today is, August 26, 2021. Like this is the best day of my life I've ever had. Why is that? Because I'm alive and my relationship with power is continuing to evolve. So good. It's so crazy to me, literally how like we have experienced that shows that like God's plan is always better than our plan and God always, Mm -hmm. you know, and how I can still be like, oh, but what if it doesn't work out the way that it's supposed to work out? Uh, (laughs) And it's so weird because I know like in the beginning of my sobriety, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. Um, You know, some of the happiest times of my life was living at the two, four where I got sober. Right. uh, five and a half years ago, you know, at the smoking table, like (laughs) not anything, you know? Um, and like, it was like, because I had nothing, it was so easy. It was so much easier for me to follow God's path because I have to lose, you know? And it's just 
so crazy to me how the ego can regenerate and how I personally want to take back control so many times. But I guess I, I, what I would like to, to know, and I'm thinking of a specific listener when I ask this. So when this comes out, I hope you know who you are. Have you ever had a time where you haven't felt connected to God in your sobriety? Yeah, I have. Um, I definitely have. And, you know, Mark Houston um, was one of my early mentors and he used to talk about, you know, in recovery, like going through times where you're walking through the desert, you know, it's like, I'm still walking, but I don't think I've changed like my pace or whatever I'm doing, but somehow or another, the, the, the landscape changes and where it was, you know, lush and tropical and, and, and beautiful and vibrant, all of a sudden I'm walking out of that in, into a desert that I'm going to have to walk through for the next however long. And I don't know why that is. Um, I don't know if that happens to everybody, but when I heard him say that and it kind of normalized it for me, then I was able to say, okay, you know, this is just part of it. And when I, when I start to feel that way, one of the things that has always worked for me is, is to get back to basics, you know, and just, you know, really, really start to do the very basic things that, that feed your spirit, like, you know, helping other people, like, you know, changing up your service commitment or, you know, start having these days, probably a zoom meeting with, you know, the one women that you're helping on some kind of consistent basis, or, you know, read a new spiritual book or um, practice a different kind of meditation. I just try to, if I start to feel that way for too long, um, I just try to change it up. And I also try to um, really focus on gratitude at those points in my life. I believe that gratitude really is for me the highest form of prayer. And I believe that just because it's different and you don't feel as connected at that moment doesn't mean that it's not valuable. And so when I look back at those times in my life where I felt fearful or felt disconnected, almost every single time, you know, there was something that was going to be happening around the corner that I had no knowledge of. But it's almost like I needed that time of rest, like spiritual rest and, um, and, you know, taking action to get reconnected in order to be prepared for, you know, whatever was going to come. Thank you so much for being honest in in that area, because I think that in itself can be helpful uh, Mm -hmm. to people for sure. Yeah. Uh, Now, what was I going to ask you? Cause it was something that I wanted to ask you for me. I don't know. I was getting, um, <laughs> I was, I was writing down gratitude as the highest form of prayer. And so then I got, um, now I lost my train of thought, but, um, we are getting to the top of the hour anyway. So maybe there's a reason why I forgot this question, <laughs> but I do want to ask you before I ask the wrap up question, you know, what is the greatest gift recovery has given you? Hmm, That's a hard question because there's so many wonderful things that have happened. I think the greatest gift that recovery has given me is the ability to be present and grateful for my life. 
you know, when I look back at different points in my life, I always had this feeling like I was going to be happy when, you know, when I got accepted to college, when I graduated from high school, when I got my first car, when I, you know, got married, when I had my first baby, when I, you know, passed the, the bar exam. I always felt like, you know, I was kind of like enduring life right now, but it was going to get better when. And recovery has given me the gift of being awake and being present for my life. And, and I think that that's the, the greatest gift. I mean, there are lots, but I think that's the greatest gift is being present for my life. Mm. I love that so, so much that we can be happy right now. That's know? right. No matter what our externals are. Uh, this has been so fantastic. I feel like there's just been so much good stuff and solution and honesty. I just, I can't wait for this to come out. Um, my wrap up mm-hmm. question is always, if you could leave us with one takeaway, whether it be the listeners, the women on the call, women getting sober, trying to stay sober, um, if you could leave them with one thing, what would you want to leave them with? I think the one thing that I would want to leave them with is you are worthy, you are valuable, you are capable, and you can do this. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, this, Like I said, this is fantastic. I hope you all have a wonderful day. If you all have liked this episode or any other episode, please like, share, rate, subscribe, review. Uh, it really does help us reach more alcoholic women, which is ultimately our mission and what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Marcia, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Uh, I hope all of you ladies have a great day. So. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you, Marsha. Thank you so much, Marsha. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.